Amen. Good morning. Wow, it's happy Father's Day to all those that are here, uh, to those that are traveling, and to uh, those that are watching online. I uh, pray that you have a great, great holiday weekend. It's going to be a fantastic time. I always love Father's Day. And I, I've gone from uh, homemade cards to Father's Day ties, and now I get gift cards. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and I want, I want to take a moment, too, and thank those that uh, have been surrogate dads. I look around and I see many people here today that I, that I know of that have been a, a father figure in, your, in uh, your lives or in other people's lives. And I want to say thank you for that. As one that grew up without a father and not having that experience, uh, there are several men that influenced me and allowed me the privilege of being able to uh, work alongside them and taught me how to swing a hammer. They taught me how to uh, do many things in life that, that I didn't have that figure in front of me. I didn't have a father in the home. And they took time. And I'm, I'm just thankful. And even when I was a young man and came to know the Lord, people like James Bell that taught me that God, that we walk by faith and not by feeling. And if we walk by what we know about the Lord, because there are times that you don't feel God. We love those times, but he, he's the one that helped me on that. And then Clyde McKendry, uh, love that guy. He, he taught me how that Christians don't have to be doormats. And, uh, you think, that, well, that's not a very good uh, lesson. Oh, yes, it is. That's a great lesson. And so there are, there are so many people on and on and on. Uh, James Murray that taught me how to uh, understand that it's not what you have, but it's what you give that makes the difference. So many men, and I, I just want to say thank you. And, uh, and if you're here today, maybe you don't have uh, children of your own. If you look around, there are many, many children that could use a dad. And a dad is something that you are. You're just, you're just a dad is not just uh, bothering children. Because any guy can do that. It's being there for them. So if you know somebody in your life that doesn't have a, a dad, uh, I would encourage you to step up and, and be that person in their life, especially in these days. In these days that we live in, uh, we are, are, the family is bombarded. The family is under, under attack by the adversary. And, and I've, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. I know that when God created, the very first institution he created was the family. And he designed it to have a, a mom and a dad in the home. That was his, his design, his, his way of allowing children to be, to be nurtured and trained and raised to love him and to serve him. And, and I'm thankful for uh, single parents. I'm thankful for single moms. I'm thankful for single dads. But I will tell you, the the, the formula that God placed was a husband and a wife to raise their children together because there are some things that moms can do that dads we're thankful for moms 
And there are some things that dads can do that, that moms just aren't able as well. It takes both. So I just want to encourage you to, to strengthen your families in this day and time where, where the adversary is, is on the prowl looking to destroy uh, families, looking to destabilize the family unit. It's up to us to stand up and say, this is the time that we say, we are not taking another step backward. We're drawing a line in the sand and we're saying no more. We are children of God. We know what the scripture says and we are going to stand firmly on the word of God. So I'm not, I haven't got to my notes yet. I'm going to get there. But this is just something that's impressed on my heart today that we need men and women to, to stand up and say, I know what God has said, and, and I'm going to use my gifts and talents and abilities to bless others, especially those that don't have parents of their own. So I would encourage you to, to do that. Uh, I know that many things that are going on in our church today, I know that there are many people that, that are in need of prayer. I know that many issues of people that watch online and people that attend church here regularly that are going through difficult and hard times in their lives. And I look at it and, and as an individual, you look at it and you say, well, they're going through this or, or they're going through this or they're going through this. But when you start seeing this pattern, you begin to understand. And if you've pastored as long as I have, because I've pastored more years than what I'm going to tell you, that you start seeing a pattern of the adversary at work. And here's one thing I know. When the adversary begins to attack families and he begins to try to drain families all within one congregation, it helps me understand that we're doing something right because he will leave you alone if you're doing nothing. But when you begin to step out and start walking in faith, when you step out and you begin to start reading the word, when you step out and start sharing your faith and sharing the gospel, that's when he gets upset because he knows the real potential in, in the children of God. Where, where the scripture says that, that two can put a... a um, a thousand to flight and three could put ten thousand to flight. It's important to understand where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is there. And when we begin to agree on things, when we begin to ask God for deliverance, when we begin to ask God for healing, when we begin to ask God for blessing, God begins to work and God shows up. So I have a notice for the adversary today. We are not going to kowtow to you. We are not going to to bend our knee to you, but we are going to bend our knee to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have the authority to go before the throne of grace and to make our petitions known, and that is exactly what we're going to do. So, Sam, you're going to like this. It's not in this, it's not on our program, it's not on our agenda. But I just feel it in my heart starting this Wednesday. If you want to join us for prayer Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we are going to start. I don't know if we're going to have music. I don't know what we're going to have, but I do know this. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray hard, and we're going to pray for the needs, and we're going to see God deliver. Amen? All right, we'll go on with the notes. 
Uh, I want to talk to you. I want to start a new series. I want to talk to you about unlikely heroes. Unlikely heroes. Have you ever known somebody that was a hero? 23-year-old 20, uh, Bill Suhosky boarded flight 1549 bound for North Carolina. He had just broke up with his girlfriend, was distraught. So he decided he was going to leave New York and go to North Carolina and, and just kind of hang out with family and friends and kind of get his focus in life. And on that January 15th morning, 2009, when he boarded the flight, he boarded just like the others, uh, other 155 passengers. And as they boarded the flight, they went past the stewardess and they were able to look in the cockpit and they were able to see the captain. And not one of them, not one of the 155 saw a hero. They saw, they saw a stewardess, they saw the captain saw the, the co-captain, but none of them saw a hero. Not even the pilot, Soli Sullenberger, until they took off and had to make a landing in the Hudson River. They, Soli didn't believe that he was a hero. He was, a, he was an air, airline pilot. But on that day, he made one of the most amazing landings that we could ever see. See, and heroes, see, heroes do what they can in the situation that's presented to them. You know, on the morning of 9-11, it's one of those days that all of us remember where we were and what we were doing. And, and on, that, on that morning when Todd Beamer stepped on uh, onto that plane, he had no idea that he was going to be confronted with a situation that could result in him losing his life. Yet he and others on that flight decided that they would rather fight and take the fight to, uh, to those that were trying to hijack the plane. And everybody remembers that, that famous line that he said, let's roll. Fathers, I believe that this is the day, this is the hour, this is the time that we step up and become heroes for our families. The adversary is trying to, to destroy and trying to take your children, trying to take your grandchildren, trying to, to discredit everything that is good and right in the family unit. And, and you say, well, are you, are you going to to name any, anybody or any, any organizations within our, in our culture that's doing that. I'm going to say, no, I think we're aware of what's going on in our culture. But it's not just recent. It's been going on for a long, long time. There, it's time, though, for, for the fathers, for men to stand up and say, 
I don't know how you're going to work and I don't know how you're going to live, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Whether your children are in the home with you or whether you have a distance between you and your children or whether your children are grown, it's, it's the responsibility that when God allowed you to be a dad, when, do, when God allowed you to be a father, that it's something that lasts a lifetime. Whether you have children or whether you have children that you've adopted or that you have grafted into your life, it's time for godly men to stand up and say no more, that we are going to lead our families in the ways of God. We're going to lead them in prayer. We're going to lead them in, in holiness. We're going to lead them in righteousness. We're going to help them understand that the most important thing in this life is to be able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't even know where all this is coming from, but so if, if, you know, if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm so sorry. But we live in a generation that, that and as, as a pastor, I, in years past, I've, I have seen so many parents that allow their, their children to go do all these other things on, on Sunday and never attend the house of God. And, and they said, well, uh, they're going to go off and they're going to be in this sport or they're going to be on, in this and they're going to be in that. And, and I look back and I, and I see them now and, and very few of those children are serving God today because their parents allowed them to, to understand through their actions that there were some things that were just more important than the house of God. Now, that's my opinion. You can be wrong if you disagree. But I, I believe it's time for, for godly people, godly men, godly women to stand up and say, let's focus on the things of God. When we do, great things are going to happen. See, heroes are driven by something greater than their own life. They're driven by family. They're driven by, by, by faith. They're driven by humanity. They're driven by something else. And, and it's not any different in the Christian life. Hebrews 11 is a list of heroes of faith. It's a whole list of, of people that were, that were in there. And, and uh, I believe I have a, a, pat, a scripture up there if you would roll to that, please. But most of them, most of them, in fact, I would say all of them on that list or in that list were unlikely heroes. Abraham. Abraham was called by God. He wasn't anybody. He lived in the land of Ur. That's all we know. And he was called by God. He wasn't, he wasn't a king's son. He wasn't anything. He was just Abram, and God called him and because he followed the voice of God, he became a hero, an unlikely hero of faith. Moses. Here's Moses that shouldn't have lived. There was a decree that he should have been killed. They were killing all the, the male children in Egypt. And, and he was sent down the Nile River, crocodiles and all, in a basket. I mean, can you imagine sending your child in a basket down the St. John's River? Whew. And yet, through the providence of God, 
The Pharaoh's daughter saw him, had compassion on him, took him as her own son, and then asked for a, an Israelite woman to come take care of him. And the person that was able to come take care of him was no, more, no less than his own mother. Talk about God intervening. But who would have thought Moses? What about Rahab? Here's the children of Israel going in to take the promised land, and they, and they reach Jericho, so they send some spies. And there, there's a harlot, a prostitute, that, that lives in the city. And she hears why they're there, and she's heard the stories how God is with these people, and she takes a risk. She, she takes a chance and hides the spies, putting her own self at risk because she believed and because she believed the spies told her uh, put a put a uh, a cord down uh, a red cord down out your window so we'll know that it's that it's you and we won't we'll spare you and Rahab became part of the lineage of Christ see they all had one thing in common all of those that are in Hebrews 11 they believed they heard the voice of God and they believed they believed see heroes react to circumstances because of an underlying belief if you don't have any beliefs you won't stand for anything why do you think the adversary is trying to attack the very core foundation of society, the family? Because if the family goes and, and, and there are fatherless children, it's easier to teach fatherless children the ways that they want versus the ways that God wants. Heroes react because of an underlying belief. Abraham was driven by a promise by God, and he responded. Moses was driven by an encounter with a burning bush, and, and Rahab was motivated by the stories of God's people. They believed. What motivates you? What motivates me? I love when you read Hebrews 11, and I would, I would encourage you to take time and read that today. Because you get down and you hear all the big name nobodies and then you get down to the bottom and it says and others and others people that don't have a name in the Bible people that are not listed in, in the chronological order but the writer of Hebrews says and others Others that did not receive deliverance, others that, did, that were devoured by lions, others that did not receive their dead raised to life again. I mean, if you ever have a chance to go to Rome, I would, I would encourage you to go and, and, and take the tour because you're, you're on a bus and you're driving around and then the, the guy that's on the intercom, he'll say, and this is where they martyred the Christians. And it's a solemn, solemn experience. Others did not receive their dead raised to life again. Others that gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. And others that left foreign lands to die there alone. 
Others like Jeremiah that knew God's will and preached for 40 years without a convert. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were a salesman and you sold a product for 40 years and you never sold one thing? And yet he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Others were tortured for their faith. Others that did not flinch when faced with certain death. Others that have given us the word of God by their shed blood. And here's the truth. I believe today that you are sitting around others. And others. There are others that have had a great spirit during difficult hardships. You are sitting around others that, that have lost everything and they still give. You, ha- you are around others that cling to the promises of God against all odds and see and have seen the hand of God move. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been there where, where God was, was working, God was, was moving, and you seem like, well, he's helping everybody else, but I'm in this situation, and I have no place to go. There's no place to turn. Everywhere that I've looked, uh, it's a closed door, and then God steps in. I believe that, that those heroes, those that stand on the word of God and say, I don't know how God is going to do this. Like, like the three Hebrew children said, King, I, I'm not going to answer you in a quiet fashion. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. I don't know if God is going to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but I do know this. That, that he can if he wants to, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, I will never bow my knee to you, to any other God, because he is the true God and he is the deliverer. And if he wants to deliver, he will deliver. But if he chooses not, I'll just be with him. We need some men that will be able to say, I don't care what culture is saying. I know what the word of God says, and I am going to live the word of God with passion and with power and with a voice of love and understanding that I will reach out to all that need the word of God. But what was it that have made them willing to risk all. Why, why would somebody believe or have a belief that, that they would uphold to the point of death? I think I've told you the story, but I'm, I'm going to put it in here. It's not my notes either, but I'm just, I just love this story. Uh, I was a young man. I was working at an auto parts store. And a guy came in, and, and he wanted to return his voltage regulator. See, what, what people do is if their car's broke, then they go get a part and they put it on their car and if that doesn't work, they know it's not the problem and they bring it back and then they get something else. But we had a policy. We had a policy in this store that said no refunds or exchanges on electrical items because they could have burnt it out and it would cost us money. So he came in and he said, I w- would like to have my money back. And I said, sir... We have a policy. I'm so sorry. We can't give you your money back. And he said, I want my money back. No, you keep in mind, we're, we're talking about $3.67. And 
And I said, sir, here's our policy. And he said, I want my money back. And I said, sir. And it was at that point he pulled out a gun. And he said, I want my money back. And I said, yes, sir, do you want a fan belt to go with that? And the reason why is because I, I thought that that policy was a good idea, but it wasn't something I was going to risk my life on. When it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to your faith, to your eternal destiny, it has to be so ingrained in us that we can stand in front of death itself and say, I am not bowing my knee to anybody but Jesus Christ. When you get to that point, that's when God does amazing things. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. What time is it? Oh, I have 10 minutes. I'm so happy. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's an assurance about what we do not see. You see, each and every one of these in Hebrews 11 had faith. Everybody that has walked with Christ has faith. In fact, it's faith that keeps you going day to day. It's an understanding. And so you say, well, what is faith? Faith is they believed. Faith is the assurance of the things that you expect to see. If you're a child and you tell and you're told, tomorrow we're going to Disney World. That child does not think, oh, they're probably just telling me a story. No, they, they will hold you to it. Because if mom says it or dad says it, it's the truth. It's gospel, and they take it to the bank. And every one of these people, whether they're listed or they're and others, they all had faith. They had the assurance that, that the things that, that they expected to happen were going to happen. And God did amazing things. Faith is an internal that manifests itself in the external. Faith is something on the inside that produces action on the outside. So what keeps us from having such faith? Well, I think sometimes it's, it's, it's spiritual atrophy that, that we haven't exercised our faith in such a long time that it becomes weak. And do you realize, do you realize that if you don't exercise your spiritual being that you become weak and anemic? It's amazing. I, I think sometimes that the, the church in America, not us because we're practically perfect, but others, I think we, we treat church like we live in Disney World where everything's fun and everything's great and everything's fantastic and everything around us is easy and exciting. And the truth is our faith will not always lead us on the primrose path. Because if you have faith in God, you're going against the flow. You're going against the current. You're, 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 you're following the narrow path. You're not following what, what most of culture believes or what most of culture understands or what, what culture is identifying. But 
you're going against it. You're saying, this is what the Word of God says, and I'm going to believe the Word of God, and I am not going to hate anybody. I'm not going to, to down anybody. I'm just saying, as for me, I'm following the Word of God. When you do, your faith will be tested, but the Bible says that the trial of your faith will produce great things in your life. They had faith. They believed. And the second thing was, they chose. Not only did they believe, but they chose. They had action. See, faith is a choice that we take. Faith is, is something that if you believe it, you're going to act on it. Circumstances we face in our lives are simply just opportunities to strengthen our faith, to allow us to understand and, uh, that God is in control. The adversary is looking to dilute your faith, to, to get you to a place where, where you, will, will you will cave, where you will give in, where you will deny your faith. It's the trial of your faith, as the scripture says, that produces in our lives. It is how we respond to the little things that will determine how we respond to the larger things. David didn't go out and just defeat Goliath. He didn't just walk out one day and say, look at that guy. He's, he's, he's as tall as a basketball rim. Here I am five foot four or five. I think I'll go out. I got my new slingshot. I think I can take him. It didn't happen that way. David learned about the things of God while he was attending the sheep. A, a lion came by one day and he defeated the lion and then a bear came by to take the sheep and he defended the sheep and by the time he got to Goliath he already had some 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 deliverance in his own life from God and he was able to look and say look God get, delivered a lion into my hands and God delivered a bear into my hands and certainly he can deliver this giant this uncircumcised giant that's defying the living God certainly he will deliver him into my hands and I don't know what you're going through I don't know what you're facing but I do know this if you look back on the things that God has blessed you in the past, they will build your faith and confidence that you can stand today and say, I know he, he delivered me then, and he's delivered me here, and he's delivered me here, and it's no different because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he delivered me yesterday, he's going to deliver me today. You have to have faith. You have to step out. You have to stand on the promises of God. And you say, well, how's it going to work out? Well, if you stand in the promises of God, it's going to work out exactly the way God wants it. And you say, is it going to be perfect? For him it is. And here's why. Because not only do you have to believe, but you have to act. Third thing that they did was, look, they, their focus was on eternity. They viewed life through the lens of eternity. What does that mean? See, it, it's easy to serve. If you ever go, you ever gone on a short-term mission trip? You know, you go three or four days and sleep in a, you know, in, in, in a place that you don't really like that much, but it's easy to serve for three or four days because you're going home. You know, you have your bed at the house. It's there. 
And it's easier to serve. And if we have that mentality about this life, when we understand that this life is short-term, we're only here 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years. What is 120 years compared to eternity? See, your perspective will change how you respond. And looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, is the only way to change your worldview. When you look to him, Paul said it this way to the church in Philippi in Philippians 1. He said, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And I want you to look at that. Notice that Paul separates himself from his body. He says, my life is going to exalt Christ. Whether I live or die, it doesn't matter. If I live, it's going to be for Christ. And if I die, it's going to bring glory and honor to Christ. Whatever Christ wants of me, that's what I'm going to do. He says, "For, for to me, to live is Christ. And to, go, and to die is gain. But if I am to live in this flesh, this will mean fruitful ministry for me. Look at that. I mean, I've, I've thought about that all week. How was he so confident that he would have a fruitful ministry if he was alive on this earth? Because he said it in the previous verse. For me to live is Christ. My focus is on eternity. My focus is on the kingdom of heaven. My focus is on doing everything I can, not only for myself, but for for all those around me to make heaven their home. My goal, my ambition, my drive, my, my vision, everything is set on Christ. Everything is focused on Christ. Knowing that this life, no matter how long you get to live, and I pray that everybody has longevity, but the truth is, it doesn't matter if you live to be 18, 80, or, or 180, when, you, when this life is over, that's when eternity really begins. And everything that you do in this life, every time that you stand in faith in the promises of God, is going to be adding blessing and, and, and to your crown of glory. And God is going to reward you for your faithfulness. We live in a, in a, in a culture, Paul, Paul saw his life as that he was a spiritual being in a failed body. And if you read, he, he says, man, am I, whatever I want to do, my body doesn't want to do. And, and whatever my body wants to do, I'm not going to do it. Because he saw himself trapped in this, in this sinful, carnal body. And he said, I am a spiritual being and my focus is on eternity. And I am not allowing my flesh to determine my actions. I'm not allowing fear. I'm not allowing doubt. I'm not allowing worry. I'm not allowing hate. I'm not allowing anything to separate me. I am going to stay focused on Christ. We live in a culture today that identifies with the body, not as a spiritual being, but as, a, as with the body. That's why 
the identity markers in culture today are all sexual because they, they define themselves as what kind of being they are. And, and any time that somebody identifies themselves first and foremost as a sexual identity, you can, you can assure yourself that they are walking in the flesh. And by the way, just for record, God created male and female. Everything else is man-made. Do not hate them. Do not think anything else other than I love them and, and I want them to know the truth. But it's time that, that we with love stand up and say, this is truth. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as long as Paul was in this body, he belonged to Christ. And his reward was seen when he was freed from this life to truly be with Christ. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Unlikely heroes. Unlikely heroes. Fathers, I would encourage you I don't care how old your children are. Pray for them. Encourage them. Love on them. Pray and ask God to give you a, a voice into their lives. Moms, you can do the same. If you see those around you that are in need, if you see somebody that has loss in their life, be that surrogate dad. Stand up and, and, and be counted. As, as that man of God that is not only leading their family but helping others to the cross. It's time. It's time. It's time that the church wakes up and, and realizes that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Would you stand with me? I say, well, Pastor, you're, you're kind of fired up a little bit. All right, well... I did have some barbecue last night. But that's not the reason. I get angry at the adversary when he picks on God's people. And I know through the word of God and through personal experience that when God's people stand up and begin to pray and call on the name of God, the devil is defeated. The devil is cast down. And that's when we say revival happens because revival is just bringing back to life something that was once alive. So revival only happens with God's people. So I want to encourage you today. I don't know what you're walking through. I know some of you, but I don't know what you're walking through, what experiences you have. But I do know this, that God is faithful. And God is looking for unlikely heroes that will stand up and believe what they say and with love and understanding and compassion live out the word of God without fear and without favor. I want to call you today to that to that role. Let's be 
the people of God. I want to be that person of God. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. I want to be that person that has eternal perspective every day. I know with the help of God, we will do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.